Holy Gospel is written in the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. It came to pass as Jesus went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took them, and he took him, and healed him, and let him go, and answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief seats, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the chief seat, lest a more honourable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come... Uh, and he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest place, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Please be seated. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Those words came from our first Bible reading today, and they were from the book of Ephesians. And by any standard, Ephesians is a remarkable piece of work. Coolidge, the poet, said it was the most profound book in existence. High praise indeed. Others have claimed that it's the most divine composition ever written, and it's often described as the queen of the epistles. It stands alone as an overview, from God's perspective, of God's master plan for creation, for the church, and for us personally. Paul wrote this epistle Scholars believe between AD 60 and 63, when he was in prison, probably awaiting his execution. But he takes great care here to make a very strong case. Chapters 1 to 3 are about doctrinal matters, what to believe. And chapters 4 to 6 tell us how to live out that message in view of the doctrine he'd explained earlier. 
and it's very sound and wise advice. Why did he write this letter? Well, he wrote it in order to broaden the horizons of those infant churches. He wanted them to understand from God's perspective uh, that to which they had been called. And he was probably alarmed by the political and ethical divisions that were occurring in the early church. There was this constant conflict between Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. Those who were formerly Jews kept most of their old forms, circumcision, the strict observance of the Sabbath and dietary laws, while the Gentile Christians refused to accept these rules and regulations, insisting that the new covenant in Christ rendered the old Jewish laws and customs unnecessary. And so in addressing this major division in the household of faith, Paul made it clear that there is liberty and freedom in Jesus Christ, and also emphasized that unity was possible in him. But it's interesting that throughout this epistle, the key word is one. For example, we are one. The Father is one with us. We are one with one another. Together we make up one body with one Lord, one faith, one baptism. <clears throat> Actually, uh, a few weeks ago, I was reading a very interesting uh, biography of Sir Thomas Beecham, the great conductor. And there's some wonderful anecdotes about his life and the things he said and did. And one of them tells the story of him being a guest conductor to an orchestra that he didn't usually work with. And on one occasion, he was having a great deal of difficulty in a seemingly undisciplined group of musicians. He was getting very weary of it. And during the rehearsal, he was asked by the concertmaster how he wanted a particular section played. There was a long pause, and with great forbearance, he replied, together. You want him to sing together. And that's what Paul is saying here, that individual Christian believers are called to do and be something together. In fact, to be one. Many years ago now, I remember um, a week of prayer for Christian unity that took place at the City Temple Church on Holborn Viaduct. And it was one of those occasions where part of it sticks in the memory, it lingers. And I can picture the scene now where the church was full and uh, the leaders of the various denominations were in a semicircle at the front of the church underneath the cross. And I was trying to note how many different denominations were there at that time. And I noticed the Anglicans, representative of the United Reformed Church, Methodist representatives, Quakers, Baptists, Roman Catholics, Salvationists in their uniform, all gathered around there together. And the preacher for the day was the Minister Emeritus of the City Temple at that time, called Dr. Leslie Weatherhead. And this is a bit that stuck in my mind when he was trying to put across what it means to work together. And the reason I remembered it was this. 
He said, think of a man's hand. Let the fingers and thumbs have a certain separateness. They have grown out of and belong to something larger than any one of them alone, namely the palm of the hand. The same pulse in the wrist brings lifeblood to each of them. Let the fingers not twitch in nervous disease or rub out against each other. Let them close in in one fist and reach out to make an impact in their community and oppose evil as they see it. And he goes on to say, the churches can have great usefulness in their partial separation, but the basic truth which unites them is far bigger and more important than the things which separate them. The love for Christ pulses through them all and gives them life, power, and unity. And this is the type of unity which is still possible because it could lead us, as we love one another more, to a more closely knit organization. And this is desirable as long as no one is forced into it or made to surrender anything he or she holds precious. That idea of working together, working out our strengths, but remembering we are one in Jesus Christ. And what a great illustration of this truth we have here in St. Stephen Walbrook. All the various church organizations that go on here are remarkable. We have the Chinese church on a Sunday and all these meetings in the week. And how wonderful it is if we can work together in unity as one. Or think of the city churches, very different, but all very, very potent in their ministry and the gifts being developed to the full. It's a wonderful witness to the gospel. And we pray constantly that worldwide, we Christians will remember that we are one body, although we have different ways of expressing our faith. And so really, my prayer in this little service today, and I'm sure it's yours too, is that we will lead a life worthy of the calling we have received, being completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Amen.